Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. First service, up and bright early, ready to get into the Word of God. I love it. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. <laughs> All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring a Bible to you. Anybody in need of a Bible? If you use your electronic Bible, that's fine. Uh, we just, you know, if, if you don't have an electronic one, you don't, you know, we want to get you a Bible. So please, uh, if you don't have that, grab a Bible. Um, everybody got their Bibles? Okay, great. Open to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. As we continue, we're really through this first part of the section almost here, where Paul has been dealing with the um, division, specifically chapters 1 through 4. Paul is trying to exhort this church in Corinth because of the division among the church. Uh, we're going to go, um, I'm going to kind of back up a few verses just to kind of get a running start on this as we go through uh, verses 1 through 5. I won't um, exegete the word again, but I will make sure that we understand what's happening. As we go into 6, verses 6 on, I'll exegete, I'll continue um, our line by line that way. But he gets to about verse 8 and he, he introduces a little what I'll call holy uh, sarcasm. I don't have any other uh, way to say that. But part of what he's doing um, is he's beginning to challenge uh, specifically uh, the pride, the, the boasting. Um, if, you, if you remember, um, in verse 21 of chapter 3, he left off and said, Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. He was, in, in a way, building them up. He's saying, why are you striving? Why are you contending one to another? Why is there this contention within the church? Um, and then, and then obviously he continues to say whether you're of Apollos or Cephas, Peter, right? Okay. He's saying, why are you looking to men and men's wisdom? It shouldn't be about the man that's preaching the word. It should always be about Jesus Christ. And I think we all can sit under that. We can all agree to that. Um, let, let me just go verses 1 through uh, 5 that way. And then we'll pray uh, and begin our, our line by line, verses 6 and on. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, this isn't Paul being arrogant, okay? There's, um, you, you read this, and, and even in the Greek, it, it, it doesn't come across as this declarative statement of, of um, either Paul boasting or of uh, drawing attention to himself. What he's really trying to do here is he's trying to help them understand that though they may think very little of Paul, what, what's going on at the time, obviously, I'm of Cephas, I'm of the... Well, while they think very little of Paul, Paul's not concerned with that. It's not a popularity contest to Paul. Paul's not interested in you know, winning everyone's affection that way. He, he is not trying to please everybody that way. He's, he's called to be an under-shepherd. He's called to love them, to mature them, to disciple them that way. He's, he's not called to, to please every single person. And, and he says, so look, whether you like me or not, he says, I don't weigh, my weight isn't in that. My weight is in what Christ sees in me. That's what ultimately matters because the comparison isn't my brother Cephas or Apollos. That's not the measurement. That's not the weight. The weight is Jesus. That's when we compare ourselves. If we ever want to, how am I doing on our journey? How am I doing on my walk? The comparison should never be, well, 
my brother or my sister. Look at their life. Look at my life. No, no, no. You, your, your measuring rod is wrong. Your stick is wrong in that. It should always be against Jesus Christ, right? Ephesians 4 says that it's the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry to what? Ultimately, you read down in that verse and it says, to the perfection or the perfecting of the saint in Christ Jesus. That's why you can have a, a church and have multiple uh, maturity levels in that church or, or understanding of the word of God, and everyone can receive the word of God and continue to move accordingly because it's Jesus Christ that does that perfecting. It's, it's not a man. It's, it's the word of God and Jesus in the heart. So he says, I don't even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. We read Romans, Romans 1, 16 and 17. He already he explained that. He says, it's by faith and faith alone. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. This is a good word of exhortation. I believe David... In the Psalms, you read David's Psalms and the Proverbs, specifically the Psalms because Proverbs obviously more with Solomon, but you read that and you, you kind of see David's heart in the same message and it's because it's spirit given. And this idea is if we would have judged somebody 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe even a year ago on their spiritual walk, you might've looked at them and thought, boy, that, that we're gonna write that person off. There's no way they're ever gonna mature. Or, or maybe they're not a believer and you look at them, oh, they're never gonna come to Christ. Do you know that's, that to me, that's one of the things that bothers me most is when people take away hope from an individual. When they turn around and they make or change or try to twist some doctrine of scripture to take away hope from someone, to somehow bring a new doctrine in, that's never of the Lord. That's never of God. God is a God of grace, mercy, and love, and certainly hope, hope, in all things hope. So he, he says, look, how, you know, how dare you turn around and judge these other, especially before the time. You know, only God knows that timing. And when that time is, we will, if it's not the rapture, we die before. It will stand before the Lord in the appointed time, as the psalm says, each man's been given a time, a beginning and an end. Can we do something to, to change that? Yeah. Yeah, unhealthy living, Right. Uh, certainly God gives us free will, but if we go out and we're getting drugged up or, you know, drinking alcohol all the time, getting drunk all the time, you know, taxing our liver, are we going to come against God's divine plan of life where he has for us? Sure he will. Sure we will, right? I mean, we're, we're, the temple's going to fail. There's things that are going to give out. We've known people like that. They get high every day, and there's a consequence to that. They get saved, but there's still a consequence to that, to that sin, Right? So God has never promised that he's going to turn around and, and uh, he, he's promised to forgive us, but he's never promised to say that, oh, by the way, everything you did prior isn't going to somehow be a consequence of uh, something that you may experience through life, right? So that's important because people often get angry at God. Well, Paul's drawing their attention and says, look, no one knows the time. Why are you judging? Why are you judging a brother or sister that way? God, God's got time to do that sanctifying work in that brother or sister, that's just a good word. So that's sort of our running start as we're going to jump into verse 6. Let's bow our heads and pray, and uh, we'll, we'll go line by line. Father, Lord, we just want to meet with you here this morning. We, Lord, we want your Holy Spirit to just uh, continue to teach us, exhort us, rebuke us, Lord. We want you to use that fine instrument, Lord, 
not the duration or the javelin or, or any other type of sword or anything like that. God, use that fine instrument to go in and remove, Lord, anything that's of us. So that all that would remain is, is just you, Jesus, your purity, your love for us, love for others, that we would look more like you than we would ourselves, Lord, that our individuality would become a purality in you, Jesus, and that we as one spirit would bear witness to each other. God, that's my heart's desire for us all here this morning. And certainly, Lord, as we happen to be in this passage, I know that's your heart for this church in Corinth. And Lord, I believe your heart for this church here in Camp Hill and the Harrisburg area, Lord. We just pray, Lord, have your way in us this morning. We all pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. All right. So we've got a running start. He's now going to go through and explain what ministry looks like to some extent. But he's going to say it's figurative. In other words, he's not saying that every single person, Paul himself or Peter or anybody else, necessarily really uh, harnessed all of this. But he's saying, you know, this is a picture. We came to Corinth. We didn't come uh, with grandeur. We weren't kings. We weren't, we weren't to be served that way. No, we actually came abased, right? We, we came and we, uh, we were sometimes uh, hungry. We were sometimes, uh, you know, in need of clothing, in need of shelter, right? We didn't come with pomp and circumstance, exactly as the world would look in someone that's well-to-do or well-thought of. He says, we, we didn't come that way to you. He says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. Circle that, underline that, somehow make that an asterisk in your Bible. What is written? What is he talking about? What is he speaking of? The word of God. He says, don't come up with your own doctrines, your own ideas, your own rumor milling, your own theology. He says, none of that, all that's going to do is divide you. He says, no, don't go beyond what I've written, what God has written, what is written, that none of you may be what? puffed up pride because when we come to our own desires and we begin to elevate them the natural instinct or the natural reality is that is that draws attention to ourselves and then what do we do haha well that was pretty good right all right i you know a little of this right a little of the pat on the back right well there's no place for that there's no place for that in the kingdom of god it's always jesus it's jesus and him crucified right he says that you'd be puffed up on behalf on on what of one against the other. That's what's causing this division. It's pride. It's pride for one another because somehow you think you're better than your brother or sister, right? For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you have did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, who do you boast of as if you had received it? You are already full. Sort of now he's He's going to lay in a little bit of the holy little sacri- you know, sarcasm here. He's going to kind of lay it in a little heavy. He says, you're already full. But what are they full of, right? You're already full. You're already rich. You got everything. You have reigned as kings without us. In other words, what do you need us for? Because you have all the answers. This church in Corinth, you figured it all out. You know, the apostle Paul, the other, the other apostles and the disciples, you've got all the answers. You know everything. You know, that, that's really what he's saying here. And again, you, you can tense yeah, in the spirit. You can see a little bit of sarcasm here, okay? You, you've done it without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. He's saying, and oh, by the way, you haven't arrived. And if you had arrived, I wish we would have arrived with you. How about that? 
right? Can you imagine them hearing this via letter, you know, this, this epistle being read as they're all looking at each other going, Paul just laid the smack down, right? That's, that's, I mean, the Holy Spirit just laid this out heavy. But why is he doing this? Is he really trying to, to ruffle feathers or is he really trying to get them to kind of fall in and go, hey, it's not about you. What have you been given that wasn't given to you by God? Where are you finding your confidence? Where are you finding your, your worth, worthly, you know, your worthiness? Where, where is this all coming from? He says, you keep looking in that mirror and, and all you see is yourself. Instead of looking in the mirror and then drawing your eyes up to God and going, Lord, what could I have done ever without you? I could have done nothing. I'm nothing without you, Jesus. I don't have a pure thought in my mind without your spirit. The carnality of man. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles. Now he's bringing out the entire apostles this way. Last. Isn't this what Jesus spoke about in the gospel? As men condemned to death. Oh, can you imagine them in Corinth hearing this? What? Condemned to death? You mean we're not supposed to be lifting each other up in this worldly power and wisdom? He's going to talk about that. Where's your power come from in a moment? To death, he says, for we have been made a spectacle. That word in the Greek is where we get the word theater today. You know what a theater is? You go to a theater and what do you watch? People, uh, you know, perform or do that. He says, we have been made a spectacle. That word theater in the Greek for you. We're on display that you can see our lives. Right? To the world, both to angels and men. Notice that he didn't say kings of men, right? He, he didn't say that, right? He's talking about their reputation. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. I want you to hear this. Paul's certainly not saying he's a fool for following Jesus Christ. What he's saying is we have become fools to the world because they in their own intellect believe they have the answer when we know the answer is Christ and Christ crucified. And he said, for that, we've become a fool. The rest of the world looks at us and goes, what are you doing? You mean you're willing to give up your life? You're willing to give up your liberties? You're willing to give up all of these things so that you can do what? You can, you can follow after Jesus? And you know what? Hallelujah. Amen. That's the Christian life. A disciple is someone walking after Christ, not someone walking after themselves. He says, but you are wise in Christ. We, what? we are fools for Christ's sake. We are weak, but you are strong. He says, do you see the difference here? Are you seeing this? You are, you are <laughs> distinguished, but we're dishonored. He says, you come with this you know, pomp and circumstance and all this elevation of, of humanity, of who you are by the world. You know, some of you, uh, you, you, a lot of you work different jobs. I know in here you're called. How many times, and I, I, look at me with your eyes for a minute. How many of you in your careers, I know before I was full-time minister years ago, I remember the company started implementing this performance program. And on the performance program, it used to be, you know, your peers could kind of weigh and say, oh, how are you doing? But now you had, they called it a 360 review. You had to go in and, and almost sound your own trumpet, if I can say, you know what I mean by that? Sound your own trumpet, where you had to write a detailed report of all the great you do and how great you are and what a great asset you are to the company and how this company wouldn't work or function if you weren't there. What is that doing? Who is that drawing attention to? Yourself, and it almost, without thinking, you become drawn into that. 
You become thinking, it becomes a part of your thinking. You don't think, oh no, no pastor, that doesn't happen. It happens to every one of us because we get conditioned to think that way. You know, and I understand the company needs to somehow measure performance and they want your input. I, I don't have a problem with that. Certainly, I don't think anybody here does. But at the end of the day, if it all becomes about us, what about the opportunity to lift up our peers and to be able to say to our peers, wow, our peers are doing so great. You know, they've helped this way. They've collaborated with me. They've done, you know, I used to measure the success of a leader as someone that was in leadership by how well their employees said that they served the company. You know, were they willing to roll up their sleeves and, and do the same things? You know, those, what do we call that today? They actually teach it in colleges. It's called servant leadership. Where do you think we learned that principle? Jesus Christ, right? He says, we become a picture. We, this is what we did and we, it wasn't in vain. We were intentional but this was all a picture of humility, of the right reputation, and it was all for you. And, and guys it's, and gals, it's the exact opposite of who you are as a church, Church of Corinth. You don't line up this way. And, and again, I say people are going to serve in ministry. If you're going to lead a ministry in here, if you're going to teach a Bible study, pay attention. Pay attention because the minute you open the word, the minute you start doing those things, all of a sudden people, boy, the way you handle the word Oh, just the way you teach, the way, you, and, and, and all of a sudden, you, you got to fight it because it's, it's one of those moments. Get away from it. Don't ever touch the glory of God. Don't ever go near the glory of God, please. This is good exhortation for all of us because we're all called to minister in some capacity. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Does this sound like king's? To you? Does, does this sound like kings? Like he says, oh, I know you all are, are kings and you've all arrived, right? You're rich. You've reigned as kings with us. And indeed, I wish I could have. Does this sound like a king to you? No. And we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, right? We bless being persecuted. We endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world. The offscoring of what? all things until now. He says, I, I don't write these things to shame you. I'm, I'm not trying to shame you. But as beloved children, he says, Pastor Paul says, I want to warn you. This is what's happening. Pay attention. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. Paul points them back. You know what the difference is between a pastor and a teacher? First of all, if you, if you read... Ephesians 4, right in the beginning of that, it says, some have been given what? And he goes through and he lists the different folks out. You know, some are pastors, some are teachers. If you read that out in that list, Ephesians 4, you would find how many? If you were counting each one? Five. But there's a Greek rule. And, and those that don't know the Greek, don't, they don't understand. There's a Greek rule in there that says when it's listed that way with the conjunction, it can only be counted as four. In other words, pastors and teachers are one. They're not to be separated. One who is under shepherding is to teach. And one who really is teaching ought to have an under shepherd's heart. You see, because that's the difference. Anybody can teach pretty much, you know, the word of God. They could stand up and, and they can go through and they can read the best commentary and they can teach the Bible. But if you don't have the right heart, 
If you're not willing to lay down your life and die at that moment for the people that you are serving, well, then you're missing it. You're missing it. She says, you may have 10,000 instructors of Christ. You might have a lot of teachers that can handle the word. You might have a lot of people that'll stand up. He goes, but the difference is, what's the heart makeup? He says, that's what's important. He says, I'm your pastor. I'm your understander. And he goes through and he begins to talk about this fatherly example. Ladies, a lot of you ladies pour into other ladies in the church. You, ladies, you teach, you know, Lisa teaches a Bible study. We're talking about other Bible studies in the church. You know, for the ladies to exhort, to build, to sharpen that way, right? Ladies, do you see the beauty of this? That you, as you're handling the word, that you come alongside each other and you build each other up, that you're pouring in and investing in? That, that's what it looks like. This is what it looks like. That it's not just an instructor of Christ, but are you being a mother or a sister to those people around you? Have you joined them? Have you become like them that they can relate? Remember, he's been comparing and contrasting kings compared to paupers. Are you trying to minister as a king or a queen and not as a pauper that way? In other words, have you joined them? I'm not saying you have to sell all your possessions. That's not, we're not talking about the material here. We're talking on the spiritual level here. Have you joined them? That's what we're talking about. That's the context here. He's not talking about material objects. They're talking about a spiritual division within the church. That's what it looks like. Ladies, pay attention. Men, pay attention. This is what it looks like. And, and if, you, if the Lord has put this on your heart, one of the things you need to run against the greatest scripture because you will stand before Jesus and have to give an account to this. Is your heart and motive right? Are you willing to serve the flock that God's called you to? That, that's really what it's about. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give? Or, or are you just gonna, because at that point, go work at a seminary. Go work at a seminary and, 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 and be a professor somewhere. That's great. We need them. We need good Christian biblical teachers, right? We need them. We don't have a lot of them in our seminaries today. We need them. But we also need a heart and a motive to serve, to love, to meet people where they are, and to exhort them, to encourage them. Pastor Paul here, much like a father coming along his children, he wasn't like, well, hey, you do what you want to do. I'm indifferent to it. I'm just going to walk this way. You guys do that. Oh, no. This was deep in Paul's heart. He loved these children that God had entrusted him with. God has entrusted you and I together. You minister one to another. He's entrusted me with you all to love you, to serve you. That's a pastor's heart. That's the difference between a teacher and an under-shepherd. That's a pastor's heart. We need to study these things when, when they're brought out. We need to listen and pay attention. Otherwise, we can fall into the same trap Corinth did by starting to understand, well, boy, I, I heard he's, you know, this, this, he's a great teacher, handles the Bible better. Boy, I've never, where's, you know, it, it, it's, it's got to be God's way. This is, what, this is what we see here. And he says, I do all this in verse 14 because what? I warn you. It was a warning, right? It was a warning that way. We're weak. We're not strong. We're, we're disti you're distinguished. We're dishonored. We're hungry and thirst. This is what he's talking about. He said, I don't write these to shame you. I warn you. 
He says, I've begotten you. He says, you you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now, this had to be hard for them to hear. What? Paul? This is almost sacrilegious at first, you know, when this is being, you want me to imitate you? Who's the only one we're to imitate? Jesus. But what is Paul saying here? What did he already build this argument? He said that he came to put on a, remember, he, his life was to be a spectacle, a theater. Remember, we talked about what that term was back in verse nine in the context. So he's saying, look, imitate me. In other words, imitate my service, my love, my dedication, my servitude to Jesus Christ, my surrender. He's not saying be like Paul. He's saying be like Jesus inside of Paul. That's what he's saying here. Do you see that? I've begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy. <laughs> Timothy, if you read the Bible in the scriptures, Timothy's always sent in when there's trouble. You know, whenever there's trouble, Timothy's sent. You know, he's, he's the one he, sent, he gets sent in. He says, I, I have sent you, Timothy, to you, who is my beloved and faithful son and Lord, who will remind you, isn't that interesting, of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. In other words, some think maybe Paul's afraid. Maybe Paul's afraid that he's not coming back because of, of the conflict. They don't think much of Paul. Maybe he's not going to go there because maybe, maybe Paul's afraid to come there. Oh, Paul's going to say, no, no, it's, it's got nothing. He says, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the what? The power. What's he saying? Is he talking about the word of God? No. He's saying, I'm not worried about the word of man, the rumoring, the, the, the intellect of man talking back and forth that way. He says, no. He says, I'm not going to come to you with those words. He says, no, uh, not with the words of those men puffed up. No, I'm not even going to entertain that. He says, I'm coming to you with the power. And then we're going to further, where's that power come from? The gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, for the kingdom of God is not in word. Again, he's not talking about scripture. He's saying it's not in the rumoring of what they're doing, these men that are puffed up, but in power, the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, now in verse 21, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? What's that? What do we read in the Psalms? David, he speaks of that rod in Psalm 23, a rod of correction, how he longs for that rod. He wants that rod. He says that rod, that rod actually brings him calm and serenity because he knows if he gets out of line, God will so gently correct him. For who the love, from who the Lord loves, he corrects. And he knows that's to be in the love and the will of God that way. Or in love, and a spirit of gentleness. He says, how would you like me to come to you? Are you hearing this? He says, are, do you want me to come to you? Do, do we need to implement church discipline? Because we're going to. We're going to go into chapter 5. And chapter 5 is all about church discipline. As well as discipline for the believer. But he says, but are you willing to, to correct this yourself? Because I want to come, with you, come to you in love and the spirit of gentleness. That, that's what Paul's heart and desire is. He, he wants that as, as a father figure in their life, spiritually speaking, and as their pastor. It is actually reported. Now, I want you to understand this word. Reported has to do with reputation. It's not like I heard from Chloe in Chloe's house, which we read earlier on. This connotes, or this has to do with the fact that the rumor, not even to the rumor, but the reputation in the area 
as you're a church of sin and sexual immorality. Can you imagine? You know, Calvary Chapel here, right? Can you imagine if, if I heard someone come up and say, oh, pastor, this is the church of X, Y, Z. How that would break my heart. How that would break my heart to hear that. This church was content with it. We're a church of sexual immorality. I mean, look at the things going. People know that even the Gentiles, which at that time, you know, basically saying the heathen, you know, the, the unbelievers, even they're not doing the things you're doing in the church. And they're not even saved. They're unbelievers. And they're not doing the things that's being reported of by reputation among you. That's, that's what he's saying. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. A son was having sexual relations with his father's wife that way. And nobody seemed to have a problem with it. It was well known in the church. They're all talking. And, and nobody's thought for a moment to, especially a friend or a loved one there, to sit down and go up and go next to that person and go, hey, I don't want to listen to the rumor mill. You know, you know what I'm talking about, the rumor mills? I, 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 God has clearly said we are to have nothing to do with that. But, but somehow it comes out. Maybe you, you're here. Maybe you're talking to the individual. And they turn around and say, yeah, you know, you know, this has been going on, I'm considering adultery, or however it comes out, and you know this person, they're opening up to you, they're being transparent with you, and saying, you know, I'm just, things aren't, haven't been going good at home, uh, you know, things, the, the, the marriage has been going a little sour, a little, little dry, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, boy, maybe I could add a little spice to my life, you know, a little, a little new uh, change that way, and somehow, you know, and, and you're sitting there, and you're, you're, you're shocked, but you don't want to necessarily, like, Drop your, you know, you're just trying to hold it a little bit like, okay. And you're, and immediately you start to hear that. What do you start thinking? Lord, give me the words to speak, right? You start asking for the right heart and spirit. You know that. You definitely don't want to utter anything of your own flesh or your own heart because that, that will tank. You want to do it in the spirit of God because it'll be done with gentleness, but yet truth without compromise. Well, he says, this is what you're known. And, and so somebody says this to you. And you're like, well, if that's what you choose to do and that makes you happy. That ought to never come from a single soul in this building. That ought to never come from a single soul in this building. Not one of us has the right to compromise on God's word. What ought to come in love is to say, that's wrong. What makes you think that's right? Let's open our Bible together. And can you show me a passage in the Bible where God has said that it's okay that if you feel this way, that you may do that. Can you, can you show me? Because then what is it? It's not about you, right? You've taken yourself out of the equation. You're a vessel. Then it's about the Lord and the Spirit of God. And you're, it's not even about you. you got nothing to do with it. And then all of a sudden, the Lord just, boom, he starts speaking truth. You turn the Bible, you have them read it. What does that say? Ephesians 5. What, you know, I'm just marriage in that context. What does this say here? You know, and you start going through that. 1 Corinthians 7, right? You go through all the passages you know that, that deal with these kind of things. And you turn around and, and you pray, Lord. And, and sometimes, uh, praise God. Man, what was I thinking? Gosh, I can't even believe I was, I was really considering to do it. Oh, thank you so much, man. You just had the, you, it's like the way you came about this, your wisdom. And, you, and what, what do we say? Don't touch the glory of God. You, it's like that. you get that check in the spirit. Nope, that's not. That's Jesus. Jesus just met with you. You know, he gets, praise Jesus. He met with you right now. I, look, I'm no, I got nothing in it. This is Jesus. He loves you and I love you too. 
right? That, that's kind of what Paul's talking about, is that this isn't happening in the church. This wasn't happening in Corinth. They weren't, the sexual immoralities going on, different sins we're going to read about are going on, and nobody's dealing with it. It's like they're indifferent, or like they're in their own compartment. I come in, I have my own seat in church, I sit in my chair, I hear the word, I get fed, and then I walk out as though this isn't where I'm invested in my life, as though this isn't where I'm called, you know, as though there's some coincidence, I just happen to be in this chair today. This is a home. This is a city of refuge. This is where God has drawn you in and you're to vest in each other because that's real love. That's, that's what it is to be a disciple of Christ. If, if this is the first time some of you are hearing this or you've seen this in your, your scripture and you, you never kind of underline this, this also has to do with church discipline. There are times, and again, uh, you know, we're, we're fairly young, Calvary Chapel here, only been here about five years, right? Um, you know, you, you you see churches 20, 20, 30 years, you know, I think of Costa Mesa, Calvary Chapel, other, you know, that Philly been there for a while, Calvary Chapel. You know, you, you talk to Pastor Joe, some of the, you know, maybe in their whole time, they've had four, maybe five times where they've ever had to invoke church discipline. And it's always a, a very well prayed through, uh, uh, very deliberate you know, okay, Lord, show us how to handle this in your word. And it's never a, a surprise. There's always been an opportunity for that individual as, they, as, as, as the pastor or, you know, has gone up and sat down with them. Well, first, you all, brothers and sisters, have. As we read in Matthew 18, there's a right way to handle sin with a sinning brother or sister. All that's been done. Then, then they continue on, and, and they're not getting help. So what happens? You bring an elder, you bring two or more, three. Okay, they're not listening to that, you know. Then, then okay, then what do you do next? What, what happens after that? Then you're to turn around and you're to get the pastor involved or a pastor involved. So the pastor comes and sits down and goes, look, I, I know what you believe right now in your heart that you think it's okay for you to leave your husband or leave your wife and to take and, and basically lock them out of the bank account and then then come to church and pretend like there's no problem in the church. Like you're sitting here and she's sitting there and you all are playing marriage but when the minute you walk out of here, you got two different cars, you're going to two different locations, and you're not even working on, you know, restoring the marriage. As a matter of fact, you're doing the exact opposite. And you're okay with it. Like you're, 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 you're you know, going in that direction because one of you is being selfish and committing sexual morality. And, and, and I'll tell you, you may not think this happens. This has happened. It does happen. And you'll sit there. I, I, I can clear as day. I remember looking at a couple sitting right on my couch and, and, and having that very conversation and looking at the one and saying, if you love Jesus, you'll submit to Jesus more than your own will or your own emotions. And praise God, you know, sometimes you get the, yeah, you know what, man, I just haven't been in my word in a while. Okay, praise God. Okay. Sometimes I, the one I'm thinking of, it didn't go that way. No, I'd rather have this extra affair than serve Jesus. Yeah, I, I know that's hard to believe and it's, it's heavy. It happens, Lo. You, you, you have to be aware of this spiritually. And it's hard. It's hard because you sit there and you're like, Lord, what do I do? Well, he tells us what to do. He says, at that point, there's nothing more I'm going to do as a pastor or you as a brother or sister in Christ. You cannot force people to go against their will, right? And God is a gentleman. He's not going to either. But he will, he will tell us to enact church discipline, which means we then come together, again, 
after we've done everything we can. And at that point, that person is to be given over that way. What are we talking about? Well, that's where let's continue on in scripture and this will all come clear in what God is teaching us how to have, handle this. Are you puffed up? And have not rather mourned, you have not been grieved that this is going on in your church, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you? What does that mean, taken away? Okay, for indeed, circle that again, away, that means there's an action here. For indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, I have basically saying, I've already judged, as though I were present him who has done this deed. He says, he says, I'm not there physically, but in the spiritual, in the Holy Spirit, I, what this, there's no way this can ever be right. Sleeping with your father's, um, you know, or having sexual relations like that with your father's uh, uh, wife is never scriptural. There's no possible way. It's not something that he's got to come in and kind of wade through this because it's a complex issue. There is no complex issue. It's sin. It's sin. And, and, and Paul is going to deal with it. We need to deal with it that way. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that should get your attention. He's saying, in the name, he's taken the name of Jesus. Thus saith the Lord, in the name Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So God has a purpose here. God says this person needs to be given up and buffeted or basically broken, broken, okay? And Satan is more than happy to do that and God will allow that. God will allow that man, that woman to experience that buffeting for what? Is it to see, see, I told you? No. Because what's God's, when you read all 66 books of your Bible, what was God's plan after Genesis 3? Right up to Revelation. What is God's plan through the whole 66 love letters that you have in front of you? It's always reconciliation and restoration. Right? That's what you see in your Bible. You can't help but read the whole Bible as we will in another seven or eight years, as we, as we get through the whole, you will come through, and each time we go through it, you, you know, the Lord shows you something new and different. You will realize it's a gospel of reconciliation, restoration through Jesus Christ. And remember, he's talking to believers here, brethren, sister. He'll deal with the unbeliever in a moment. But he's saying God's purpose is to restore. He explains that. And, and, and if you look at passages, uh, like verse 21 in chapter 3, we begin to see what causes. Let there, therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. He's saying you're, you're, you're being prideful. That's part of the, part of the problem. And, and who's the father of all pride? Lucifer, Satan, wasn't he? And so sometimes you need to be buffeted. You need to be humbled that way, right? And this is hard. Look, this is, nobody loves church discipline. Nobody, there's not a pastor around, there's not a, 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 an individual, a member of the church around that goes, oh, I, you know, I just, I really look forward to the time where I can exit, you know. No, nobody likes church discipline because we, we pray to God that that person is restored right away before any of this needs to even take place. But there are times there are times that while someone may be seated here, they're not of us. They're, they're, they're following after a different father, not Father God, not, not Jehovah that way. They're, they're following after their own heart, their own lust, whatever, and they have to be given up and broken. Otherwise, they may never, may never get in right relationship with God. And that's really a hard message. 
that's, that's a terribly hard message, especially when it's a spouse or a child or someone you love. To know that you can trust God to let that person go that way and say, okay, Lord, I trust you are going to do what's necessary to ultimately, more than me, more than my wife or husband or my uncle, aunt, nephew, whoever, more than anybody else, I know the most important thing is restoration of relationship. I know that, I believe that, and I trust that. With Jesus, I know that. And so, Lord, whatever you must do, and then many of us, but Lord, please, <laughs> gently, Lord, gently. Right, we, we pray that. I pray that when I see, Lord, but gently, please, God. But he says that he may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus, right? You can look at 1 Timothy 1.18. You can, you, I mean, there's, there's enough scripture we can go back and if we had time, you can just look at the scriptures, how they speak about this. And then look what he does in verse six. He says, your glorifying is not good. He says, you got all this going on and you're, you're glorifying. Hey, look how good we are. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Right? Pride does that. A little pride unchecked, you know, multiplies. It, it permeates. It produces other, you know, more pride. It, look in your Bibles at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's, let's look at verse 18. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. It says, this charge I commit to you, Son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck. He compares to going off course, to being backslidden, to, to, to have, he says he compares that to shipwreck, okay? And then what does he say from there? He says, of whom are, and he mentions two brothers, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom, what did he do? Paul himself, the apostle, had to do this. He says, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blasphemy. They were committing blasphemy. And that, that sin had to be deal, dealt with. And, and I'm sure he followed Matthew 18. You know, he, he would have known that in the, as being an apostle, called one by God, a sent one, a messenger. He would have known, okay, gather together, follow this. Okay, that didn't work. He probably invoked church discipline, elders involved. Okay, finally, they didn't listen to anybody. Finally, the pastor gets involved and says, hey, if you don't change this here, I'm sorry, you can't fellowship here. You can't fellowship here until such a time. Why is that? Because being part of a church, the body of Christ, God places a covering. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There's a covering. Even somebody that walks into the church as a believer but is backslidden but kind of just going through the motions, you know what? They're still getting a covering. They are. They're getting a layer of protection, a covering by the body of Christ because of the Holy Spirit. We just read that last week. The Holy Spirit corporately dwells in all of us as the body of Christ as we gather. So there's a covering there. When that covering's there, uh, it, it's more difficult for that person to come to that point of humility where they realize that, you know, sleeping with your, or having sexual relations with your father's wife is wrong. They may, you know, argue in their mind emotionally and at that point, you know, we, you have to talk about it. It's, a, it's an open church issue at that point, if especially if something like that happens. It's not something that's just kept private. It's, a, it's an open church issue. And we talk about it. Why? Because every one of us have a role and an appointment to help with that restoration. 
So if that person turns around and maybe they call you on the phone, hey, can we meet up for, for lunch, right, to talk, and they want to talk about some of it, maybe, maybe they don't reach out to, to the, the pastors here. Maybe they, maybe they know you the best, and they feel really comfortable with you. And they say, oh, I want to go, let's go out to lunch. And you sit down with them, and, and they begin to talk about restoration and sin issue, right? And they want to get that right. And praise God, they begin to talk, oh, what was I thinking? You know, I can't believe it. I'm so sorry. You know, and then what happens? Then you bring them back into the church and then I, you know, I pastors sit down with them. We kind of meet with them and they say, yeah, you know, gosh, you're right. This, that's sexual morality. I repent from that. I'll turn away from that. I'm not going to live that anymore. I'm not going to break that family apart. You know, because that happens too. Then all of a sudden, the separated wife brings the, 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 the new spouse, or, or sorry, sorry, the new, the new uh, guy or woman, you know, they're, they're dating. And then they come. So you have the family and the kids sitting on the left side of the sanctuary. And then you have the other spouse. They're still legally married by God because it's a vow that was taken. And now there's this new person sitting there. How do you think that makes the children and that person sitting over here feel? You don't think that that's a distraction to their ability to be ministered to when they can look right across the pew and see somebody else that they know is in sin and nothing's being done. You know, we talk all about living a life after Christ. We talk about the application of the gospel, but in the church, it's not even being invoked, right? I mean, these are real issues. We have to talk about this. It's, it, this was what was going on in Corinth. And, and Honestly, again, over 20 years, you might see it four or five times in the church. You wish you never saw it. I pray to God it never happens here, but, but that's, that's what was happening. And, and so we see clearly Paul is trying to, to as, as God has revealed to him, he says, you got to do this. You got to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. What's that mean? Unleavened is without sin, right? Leaven is an example of sin. He says you are without sin that you may be a new lump. You are a new creation and you ought to be living that way. For indeed Christ our Passover, what's a Passover? We remember Exodus chapter 12, uh, right around verse 13, you know how the angel of the Lord passed over. Uh, Christ has become that Passover for us. He is the Paschal Lamb. He's the Passover Lamb who was sanctified for us, right? So what, what, is, what is Paul trying to do here? He's, he's trying to protect the church from sin. You can look in Deuteronomy 16.3 uh, uh, if you want some additional uh, word on this Passover and idea what Paul's trying to tie in together. There, look, at, look up Deuteronomy 16.3. But he says, Therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness. And in other words, nor with the sin. I'm going to substitute leaven with the word sin. Nor with the sin of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened, without sin, right? The bread of what? Sincerity and truth. That's the equation. Honesty without hypocrisy. That's what we see here. Honesty without hypocrisy. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle. What epistle? The previous letter, right? This is really, we call it 1 Corinthians, but it's really 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is really 3 Corinthians, right? He had a previous letter. We don't have a copy of it. We don't know where it is, but, but he wrote a previous letter to them not to keep company with a sexual and moral people. In other words, he's telling us, hey, look, it's not that you can't have a conversation to re-evangelize them. Do you, do you know what I mean when I say that word, re Someone that's backslidden to point them back to Christ, open the word, draw them in, point them to the truth. 
as we just read, re-evangelize somebody that's a brother or sister that's backslidden. He says, I'm not saying you can't do that. He says, but you're not to fellowship, right? You're not to, you're not to mingle. That exact word in the Greek means mingle, okay? That's where we get our word mingle. It means to come together like that, um, to have fellowship, to have company, to eat together, to enjoy friendship. You're not to have that with that individual while they're engaged in this sin. Because again, you're not allowing the, 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 the natural brokenness to happen that they would return to Christ because of the, the sin issue, right? Again, we're not saying that you don't meet with them to re-evangelize. Somebody, some folks have taken this out of, out of context and they said, well, I, I broke off all communications and the person wanted to get together. It sounded like they were kind of repentant, uh, but I didn't want anything to do with them. I'm like, no, go to, if they're repentant, go meet with them. They may open up and, and, and have a change of heart. We want restoration, Every one of us, right? Amen? If there's a brother, sister, and sin, we want restoration for them. Well, yet I certainly did not mean, and he goes back and he's going to clarify this in verse 10. He says, I certainly did not mean this with uh, the sexually immoral people of this world. He's saying, look, I I'm not talking about unbelievers here. He goes, if I'm talking about unbelievers, he goes, um, and it's, isn't it ironic that, you know, the irony of this, that even have to, Paul has to, Pastor Paul has to spell this out for them? That, that, that they somehow would think, well, Paul might be talking about unbelievers in the church, not the, not the believers in the church. Just think about that for a minute, that he had to be so specific through the leading of the Holy Spirit here. But he says, I'm not talking about the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortion or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. He says, you'd have to get off planet Earth. You'd have to get off planet Earth if you're going to try to find a location where you're not going to find those. He says, no, I'm not talking about that. He says, I'm talking about the bride of Christ, the church. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother or sister who is sexually immoral, right? Covetous, an idolater, a reviler, right? Do you know, do you know what that word reviler means? It's one that is an abusive, um, an abusive person, someone that abuses others as well. He says, a drunkard, I think we all know what that means, one that not just has a sip of wine, you know, to, uh, as a dinner or something, if you're not serving a ministry, you're having a glass of wine and you're, you know, he's talking about someone purposing to get drunk, right, or smashed, maybe another way we'd say it. An extortioner. Do you, do you know what that word means, extortioner? It means stealing by violence. Stealing by violence. Not to even eat with such a person. Why do you think he's bringing these things up right here? Because this is exactly what was going on in the church of Corinth. And they were doing nothing about it. And they're merry and they're carrying on and they're getting together and all this is happening. And yet, behind the scenes, they're dealing with church discipline and they can't figure out why they can't all come together in unity. Because there's a sin issue in the church. And there's no one that's standing up and dealing with the sin issue. Now, I want to be very careful. I don't want any of us to walk around here with uh, the self-appointed authority to be the judge of the church, Okay. Because that can happen. You can walk around and, and you can have a sin stick. And so you start looking at everybody, sin, judge, judge, judge. No, that's, Paul already dealt with that, right? We, we know that we're not judges. We're fruit inspectors. 
right? And if somebody opens up and they share and we begin to see fruit, the thing isn't to come out and go, boy, I heard you're, you're sexually immoral right now. How's that going for you? No, no, no. He doesn't want us to kind of embrace it. What does he want us to do? No, he wants us to come and sit down and say, how's everything going? And then the Holy Spirit gives you that discernment that things are off. Would you like to talk about what's going on? And you know, and you begin to open up, they begin to open up and you deal with the sin issue. And, and you say, hey, you know this isn't scriptural. Can we, and we talked about it. open the Bible, have them read the passage that the Lord may be bringing you to. And it's done with love. And then it doesn't ever need to become a sin issue of the church. It gets dealt with between two sisters, two brothers, before it ever even gets to the point of where it's boiling to it's consuming or even creating division. But that means we have to be willing to be fruit inspectors. You know what that means? We have to be intentional and we have to be deliberate. You say, well, what's the difference, right? Intentional, I thought that means deliberate. Intentional means that you've premeditated that you will be used of the Lord. You have determined that you will then use the word of God in a holy manner. Not to, not to eisegete and change it to mean something you want it to mean, to, to win your point, but to let the word of God speak for itself. And you just honor that. And you watch God change the heart. Because you know what? If you can persuade them to change right at that moment, somebody could follow right behind you and persuade them to change back. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that when it comes to infidelity in marriages. They sit in my office. We're having a counseling. They both agree, yes. The next week I get a, you know, they want to come back in. I'm thinking, okay, great. We've made a lot of progress last week. We should be in a different place. You know, we're going to continue now. I'm going to, let's, let's build the marriage up, strengthen the marriage up with the, you know, the centrality of Jesus Christ. Scriptural, as you all know it. We go to that process, and all of a sudden, one of them is, you know, hang on, wait a minute. And they want to go back. And we, they want to, it's like they want to go back and find a reason or, or an excuse or something else. And it's hard, but we need to be invested. We need to be deliberate. We need to be intentional. If you see somebody hurting, a brother and sister here, if you're first service and you're like, well, they go to second service, well, then come to second service that day, right? Go to both services. How about that, amen? Go to both. Each service has a different message, you know? The Holy Spirit, he takes over that way. He says, not to even eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are also outside? He says, it's, it's, it's not that I'm judging those outside of the church and the earth. You know, he says, do you not judge those who are inside? Right? Are we not to look one to another and be fruit inspectors inside the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself an, even, an evil person. And again, all this is to be done, and we'll close with that. All this is to be done in restoration. This is, this is a heavy chapter, but, but it's a good chapter because it's a chapter of decency and order within the church. And that's God's desire and design for us. So before you leave here today and every day, if there's somebody sitting here and there's a sin issue in your life, don't run out of the church and act like nothing ever happened. Turn around and find a brother or sister and talk about it. And get in right relationship with Jesus. If there's somebody here that 
is aware because maybe you've been in, you know this person, you see them outside of church sometimes, you know, you travel in similar circles, maybe even work together, I don't know. And you know there's a sin issue because you've been a fruit inspector and you've seen some of those things. Don't walk out of here today going, that's none of my business, that's not my job, right? That's not my job. Don't, don't walk out of here today without turning around and saying, hey, do you have some time maybe on Monday or Tuesday, we can meet up at work at lunch and, and I'll buy a cup of, well, you wouldn't buy soup in a hundred degree weather. I'll buy you, I'll buy you a frozen, uh, you know, strawberry smoothie or something, you know, uh, and, and you sit down and you invest in them and you talk to them. You, you might win a brother or sister back. You might re-evangelize them back to Christ. And how great a reward and how all of heaven rejoices when someone gets saved. Heaven also rejoices when someone's in right relationship and restored. That's, that's ministry, right? And we, got, we can't forget that, yes, we're to evangelize in a world, but with evangelism, without discipleship, there's no maturing. Well, guess what? We all need to mature as well. We haven't arrived. We need to be pouring into each other, amen? Let's stand and pray. It's a good word for us today. It's a good word for, for this church you know, five years, we're a young church. We, we haven't had too many discipline issues yet. Praise God, I pray we don't. Uh, we've not had to ever, you know, put anybody outside the church yet. Praise God. Um, but let's never have to get to that point because we're invested in another, you know, each other. And that way, if something starts to go off the rails, in love, we, we helped uh, with the Lord's leading, put it back on track, Amen. Father, we, we acknowledge what you said, and we want to be obedient to this, Lord. Lord, without, uh, without applying this truth, Lord, it becomes in our hearts often an hypocrisy. God, we certainly don't want that here today. I, Lord, I, I'm convicted, Lord God, to make sure that, uh, Lord, I know in my heart, I, I want to be invested in every single soul, Lord, that you allow and you draw into here. And God, I pray you'd show all of us, give us supernatural uh, discernment to be able to come alongside a brother or a sister, Lord, in their time of, of hurt or need or anger or sin. And Lord, let us do it with such gentleness. And God, if they're not willing to hear, let us follow and bring others, as you've said, Lord. Um, and Lord, if they still won't listen, Lord God, I pray you will give us wisdom in this church. Lord, I pray that none of this ever gets to that point. Lord, I pray you always, through honesty, through simplicity, Lord, through your gospel, will continue to develop unity here for this body. That we would be your flock governed by you. We would not get caught up in, in division, Lord, and sin and such a sin that's not even named among the Gentiles, Lord. That we wouldn't become a church with a reputation other than we love Jesus and we are willing to, Lord, lay our lives down, surrender completely, Lord, we want to be that church of Philadelphia, the faithful church. Lord, oh, Jesus, we love you. You are everything to us. Lord, without you, our lives would have no meaning. We'd have no direction or aim. But because of you, Jesus, we have purpose. Thank you for giving us the privilege to worship you, to glorify you, and to lift your name on high. Lord, thank you for blessing your holy word and that it will, Lord, it will last even into eternity. For this earth and the heavens will even pass away, but not a single jot or tittle of your word will ever, Lord. Thank you, God, for giving us your love letters and your instruction. Now we need to be obedient, God.
We pray for help in that and help, Lord, the prodigals, help those that have been walking away, help those that are in sin right now, Lord, to, to come and, and, and open up and uh, get help and reconciliation. Jesus, we know nothing would make you happier. And, and we're just so thankful. We pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. Have a beautiful day in Christ. And if anybody needs to talk, let us know and we'll, uh, we're happy to help you.